0: Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in. Church, we need your power. My yeah. wife is imminently respecting here. Boy, can you imagine? But, but, but I was preaching, babe. I was preaching, you know? So there we go. We'll leave it right there. So uh, I was awaiting this call, and I finally got it. It was from a uh, customer service rep trying to deal with an issue that I had phoned in for about four times in the last few days. And I noticed, uh, like I always do, I noticed where people are calling from. So it was a 403 number. It's, you know, dear to my heart, the good old prairies. So I just said to him, uh, so how you doing? How's the weather in Alberta? And he goes, well, I'm actually not in Alberta. I said, really? You're 403? Oh, yeah, we got portals all over the place. Uh, I'm calling from uh, Quebec, but we got a portal in Alberta, one in Burnaby, one in Las Vegas. He goes on. And I said, oh, and, and you're stuck in good old Montreal, eh? He goes, well, it's actually a pretty cool city. And I just said, well, yeah, I'm not from here either. He goes, I know. So I'm calling him from my office, okay, from White Rock, British Columbia. And this whole conversation went on. I said, yeah, I'm not from here either. And he goes, yeah, I know. I said, really? Now, this was was politically correct, so he's not going to be in trouble. But I asked, how would you know? And he kind of slowly unrolled and unraveled. He says, well, with all due respect, I, I could tell you're not from BC because you're so happy. <laughs> I know, I've been dealing with him four or five times and I still wasn't angry with them. although he had no idea what was going on in my heart. And uh, he, he goes on, he says, it's so often when I deal with BC clients, they're not so happy and they're very demanding. Interesting... Okay, now put that on the shelf. And just in the last five or six days, you probably heard that the headlines have uh, been regarding Vancouver, that it's the unhappiest place in Canada. Eh? You saw that or read that? Now, there's there's a lot of uh, provinces or places or cities that are really close behind it, but they got the Golden Globe Award for being the unhappiest people around. I mean, people in Regina are way happier. What is going on? We've got to move there and figure out what's going on, right? But, uh, so I was reading it a little bit, and uh, what it says here is, while many have their own reasons to believe Vancouver is the unhappiest city in the country, research has found that physical characteristics of geographical um, areas such as urban size and and population density and natural endowments, economic opportunity or deprivation... Access to and quality of infrastructure, amenities, and services plays a large part in people's reported life satisfaction, as well levels of trust and the quality of social connections in neighborhoods and workplaces can influence happiness significantly. So it still says nothing to me, I have no idea what they just said there, I just threw that out at you. But it's interesting because why is it that somebody says it to me personally on the phone and then it comes out, stats can, or whoever did it, comes out that we are an unhappy group of people here. Have you looked around? Why in the world are we unhappy? Yeah, yeah, we can bellyache about trans-licking, we can bellyache about this, but good Lord, look back at our ancestors walking everywhere. Or the other day I was walking... This is really cute, and this is a free comment. But I said to my uh, daughter, who's five, she wanted to do breakfast. She wants to go out every day. Like, she's going to be so expensive, whoever marries her. (laughs) But every day she wants to go out. And uh, she said, Daddy, uh, I want to go to Tim Hortons. I said, I don't want to do Tim Hortons. I want to go breakfast at home. But maybe we'll do ice cream later. Okay, and the graveyard? Like, who says that? But she does, right? And the graveyard, well, what do you mean? I want to go to the graveyard she 's very interested in that kind of stuff, right? And we live right by the graveyard, very quiet neighbors. so on the way to the ice cream place or whatever, I, like basically I was telling her, "So what do you want to do for sure? Ice cream or graveyard?" She says, "Well, if I have to choose i 'll go with graveyard." <laughs> this must be Jody's child, right not I so. There she was, but what I'm saying is, along the way, she was picking flowers, and then also she looked up, and she says, Dad, there's the moon, and it was like two, it was two in the afternoon, but she could still see the moon following us, and then she would grab flowers, and she would, and then I noticed she had her purse with her, and she was grabbing Coins that have an angel on one side, and on the other side it says, "His, his, he will charge his angels to care for you." And then she was going to specific graves, and then laying them down to bless people there. And all of a sudden, she started taking out cash, and she started laying. And I said, "Babe, this is really cool, but um, these people aren't going to spend it. It's the caretaker or other people that are looking at this stuff. They're going to put in the pocket, really." And then she goes back and she picks up, picks up, picks up. (laughs) That was so funny. Maybe I should not thinking about it now, maybe I should have followed it later and I could have bought myself a treat. But I love it because my five-year-old and even my two-year-old noticed the moon the other night. So what's our problem? There's always something to bellyache about, isn't there? Like absolutely there's something to ache about. But when it comes to BC, when it comes to that oh that horrible ocean that we have to put up with, or today's beautiful day like, and all the greenery. You know what? Go to Alberta in February and then fly back here. When I candidated for this job, I left the brownery and if anything wasn't brown, then it was white with snow. And I flew into this place and there was flowers starting to... What? Is, is this Canada? Did I get on the wrong flight? Right? Why in the world are we unhappy? And obviously it's a broad stroke. And they can look at infrastructure, they can look at lack of jobs and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, isn't there something to be joyful about? And I think today, when we look at Scripture, what we want to look at today, in the one another's whole um, series that we've been looking at, I want us to look at something that I think will help us along this route as Christians living in this unhappy environment, unhappy society, maybe we can be different. Maybe we as disciples of Jesus Christ can be a happy lot. Maybe we can have joy even though the bus doesn't come right to our door. So let's figure that out, and before we read Scripture, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, open up your word to us this morning, I thank you for the chosen songs this morning. I thank you also for our drummer. can't believe that guy. I I had to double-take and triple-take and realize he's James. Apparently it's his 16th birthday today. Thank you that he could come and help us worship this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the spirit of our worship team and the songs that even um, Pastor Ken pointed out. Uh, Those Irish boys that wrote that tune, they know how to bring celebration to the house of the Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you for a lot of the songs coming out that are just oozing with Scripture and oozing with the Psalms and good theology, Lord. And we just want to continue to worship you. Father, this morning, we want to learn how to honor one another and how to love on each other. Father, we want to learn to be a people here in B.C., that we don't have to have the sun shine at 24-7 to be happy. We don't have to have the bus come to our door to be joyful. We don't have to have everything just tickety-boo in order to enjoy life. Lord, we want to commit ourselves to enjoying life to the glory of God. So help us to do that and open your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 12. Please turn with me if you've got your Bibles. Romans chapter 12. You all know the verses, the first couple of verses. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But we're going to move on and go into Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. And this is what it says. And I think it was NIV that would say this is the marks of of a true Christian. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Eugene Peterson says in his version, A love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil and hold on for dear life to what is good. Be good, friends who, be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. So joy killer number one. I'd like to take from a passage. Is. It says here. That we got to love God. And hate sin. Or the way that it says here. In that other version was. Abhor what is evil. And hold fast to what is good. Years ago you guys. I was on a first date with some young lady. And oh, it didn't turn out so well. But nonetheless. I had spent my bucks. And we went to a. Milan on Lefebvre concert, Mylon Lefebvre and Broken Heart in Steinbeck, Manitoba Manitoba, Manitoba, Manitoba and they had transformed the gym and I was up in the bleachers this is in Steinbach, Manitoba please keep that in mind they transformed the place and there this guy was, Mylon Lefebvre and I was about 16, 17 years old dying to pierce my ear who knows why but I was dying to pierce my ear to be cool And there at this concert, it just opened up the lights and the smoke. And there Mylon was. And he had the longest hair right to the middle of his back in a ponytail. And he was rocking the house. And I was just like, oh, this is awesome. And I was taking organ lessons. (laughs) Just as a side. I would never become a rock star. But nonetheless, I remember him. Then finally the lights went dark. And then all of a sudden, the lights went on, and he rocked out to the song, Love God Hates Sin, and his hair went crazy, and his diamond earring glittered. And I says to myself, self. (laughs) But as you can see, I didn't quite make it. But he had this song that was fabulous, one of them being Crack the Sky. He was looking forward to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And by the way, just so your parents know, also in Mylon LeFevre it's not the greatest to be a Christian rock star because he had a heart attack and now he is just a do little guy and he's called Mylon and Friends. So there you go. If, if you think that I was telling your kids to become rock stars, there you go. You're going to have a heart attack and become a pansy little player, okay? So don't do it. So there you go, now that that's done, he said, crack the sky, because he's looking forward to the imminent return of Jesus Christ, where somebody's boots are going to be here, because they're gone up to meet the rest of the church, and be with Christ, it's awesome, and then later on, he goes to sing the song, love God, hate sin, you gotta love God, hate sin, and sometimes we get that messed up, we say, we gotta love God and hate sinners, I, I, I mean sin, right, we get that messed up. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, has made each and every one of us, even the people that are on your nerves, the people that are doing evil stuff. He has made them, but the things that they're a part of is not godly, and we can hate that stuff. We can look at a brother or a sister or an uncle, whatever, and we can say, I hate what's been happening to you. You've been sucked into the lie of Satan when you've been a part of this garbage. And this is exactly what Paul is saying here. you got to love God, hate sin. E. Bruner, he writes this, that uh, with love, if it is not to degenerate into sentimentality, must include a strict objectivity, hatred against evil, and faithful adherence to what is good. Folks, have you ever paid attention to a stream There's going to be erosion, right? As it continues to go along, the water keeps taking away the edges, and there's erosion. It's the same thing that happens in our lives when we're not paying attention. Erosion happens all the time with different morals, different TV shows, different words that are acceptable now, different habits that are acceptable now, and pretty soon you'll look back and go, oh my goodness, can we even tell that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And to me, this is hard. It absolutely is hard. How do we be culturally relevant without getting sucked into it and all of a sudden becoming just like our culture? And I hope you struggle with that. Because I don't think we're supposed to look totally like, whoa, and become Mennonites in some Hutterite colony somewhere. No. But yet, we're supposed to be able to be different and. People should be able to smell something different and see something different, see the different reactions in business, see our marriages thriving and stuff like that. I think there needs to be that, too. We've got to love God. Hate sin. To love God is to regard evil with horror. Unfortunately, he says, familiarity with a culture that is shaped by the forces of Satan has lulled too many believers into a state of general tolerance for whatever deviant behavior is in vogue at the present. So you might be here sitting here thinking like, Steve, come on, like all this devil talk, really? Because, again, we have been lulled into this, but if you read Romans and other parts of Scripture, you see that our battle is not just against flesh and blood, against what's going on with politics, or against what's going on in the culture. This stuff is, there is a battle of principalities, huge stuff going on, a huge war going on between good and evil, right and wrong, and we are seeing it played out where we are living. And one of the great lies of Satan is just the dumbed-down truth, to use this word that's been so stinking abused, tolerance. We need to be tolerant with everything. Right? And now, all of a sudden, we've been lulled into this stupor and we don't even know what's right and what's wrong anymore. Satan has lulled us believers into a state of general tolerance for whatever deviant behavior is in vogue or in style in the present. We're to abhor evil because it's, it is the enemy of all that leads to Christ-likeness, to goodness, to what is right. So it's worth mentioning here that that all the ten participles here, so when you look at the passage that we've looked at this morning, that all the ten participles, uh, beginning with his clause, are present continuous. So he doesn't say, um, love, and then get it over with. Or he doesn't say, be hospitable, you know, at Easter and at Christmas. He's saying, be this, be this, be this, be this, the mark, of a Christian is to love deeply the mark of a Christian is to love God and hate sin the mark of a Christian is to practice hospitality isn't that weird like how many of us really practice or have been practiced upon with hospitality that's a tough one and some of this will be uncomfortable today just so you know what God seeks in a believer is not so much a single worthy act as a continuing quality of life. We're to turn away from all that's evil and cling to what is good. The Greek participle comes from a word, verb that means to glue or join together. So in 1 Corinthians 6.16, it uh, it's actually used to describe uh, a sexual union in, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16. Holding on tightly to truth, and that's what it's using in, in 1 Corinthians six sixteen regarding a sexual union, it's saying holding on tight to what is right is necessary so that we don't fall back into sin. So I'm going to say that joy killer number one is that we're not so good at loving God and hating sin. And I think sometimes, even in my own life, that I have to make decisions about so many bazillion things, advertisements and culture, and all sorts of twisted things are coming at me, that sometimes I just get so tired of not knowing what is right and what is wrong. You know what I'm saying? You've got to think about everything. It drives me crazy sometimes. But joy killer number one, I think, is that we need to work on Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and hating sin, but not the sinner. Joy killer number two is there's a lack of brotherly love and a lack of brotherly honor. Honor is a word that we don't even know what that means anymore. Honor, what the? Well, ponder that sentence for a bit. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So to to be... Be devoted to one another doesn't quite get the sense of the original. The RSV or the Revised Standard Version says, uh, love one another with brotherly affection, but the word for love or be devoted to refers to a special kind of love. It's used only here, only here in the New Testament. So it's one of those words that's, what exactly does it mean? Um, It's tough, but it refers to a special kind of love. But it is not a rare word outside of the New Testament. And it refers to a tender affection, particularly a family affection. So what the verse is calling for is that Christians have a a tender, brotherly, family-like affection for one another. Interesting, yeah? We're to be like family and love each other deeply. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, he uses um, four different words for love. He gives them their Greek names: agape, that's a godlike kind of love, uh, self-sacrificing, and uh, even toward enemies. Uh, philia, it's a love of friendship and camaraderie. Eros is the love of romance and desire and sexual attraction. And storge is the love of affection that arises through natural attachment, you know, like a child. A dog, a favorite old shabby sweater, a good old Winnipeg Jets jersey, or a spot in the woods. You know what I'm saying? So the word in Romans 12, verse 10, which we're looking at today, is a form of this last word, storge. To be specific, it's philostorges. It's a tender affection, especially toward precious family members. And there's a beautiful key element of, a, of a affection, affection toward each other. He's calling us to be brotherly love, like that yummy espresso on my favorite couch in the morning, like my daughter going first thing and grabbing poor old Gussie, our little dog, and loving, I, I do this because I love you, Gussie. You know, whatever it is, you're like, ah. Oh. It could be even your kid. You just love your kid. Whatever, you're just like... "Mm." That's what he's saying. We're supposed to... "Mm," Each other. Wouldn't it be weird to get the tape up today? Like, what does he mean? Each other. But we're supposed to, like, love deeply each other. In Philippians 1, verse 8, Paul says to the church, For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ... And the word for affection in, in Philippians is intestines. Super, right? Super. Let's conclude with that and go home and ponder that. Go intestine one another. The word for affection is intestines or inner organs. So the idea is that I love, I have a, a love for you and I long for you with an act of willpower but with not just with an act of willpower, but with tender and deep, deep affections. Oh, I miss you. It's when you leave your wife at the airport and you just, you just get through security and going, oh, your heart sinks because you miss your wife so much already. Uh, I miss you or I'm homesick for you. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11 to 13, he calls for the church to share this kind of love. And when it comes to honor, think about the historical fact that that the Romans ruled over Israelites and were not kind to Christians. Why, Why I tell you that is Paul is writing here to which church? The church in Rome. Excellent. Excellent. Rome, yeah, yeah. So here, when you think about it, they have been under the tyranny of Rome for so long and then the Romans had excellent tortured kind of tactics they thought of all sorts of stuff including the the crucifixion things like that and now if you'd become a christian they would sometimes throw you to the lions it wasn't all that great to be a christian in rome and now as a as a roman citizen to become a christian you had less rights but if i was just a guy or an israelite you as a roman christian had more rights than i did if you remember one time Uh, That's even what Paul says, he called on Caesar's name, he says, I'm a Roman citizen, because they were were giving him a beating. You can't beat a Roman citizen without a trial. So here the background is Paul is talking to folks that are probably experiencing some hardship, the church established here in Rome, and he's saying to each other, love one another deeply, love God, hate sin, even though you want to hate that guy that just hit you. This is not ivory tower theology. If you ever think that the Bible is written is dear diary, like this is hard, hard, hard stuff, hard knocks. Nobody is writing from an ivory tower, tower here. Love one another deeply. The NIV translates a very difficult expression, honor one another above yourselves. So be eager to show respect for one another is another one. And let each man consider the other worthy of more honour than himself. So following on the references to love, which we just looked at, within the Christian family, there can be no doubt that Paul is telling the Romans not to push for first place for themselves. They are to seek honour for one another rather than for themselves. Now think about this for a second. Is if, there's a, if there's a kerfuffle in church in Roman times, uh, and uh, there's a Roman guy against a Mennonite, there's so many Mennonites back then, right? Uh, so you've got a Roman guy and a Mennonite guy, and they're button heads to sew on, on such a hardcore subject. They're both very passionate. You can see that the Roman guy would like to finally say, do you know who I am? I belong here. You're a foreigner. Shut up, Mennonite. You know? You can imagine, can't you? Because when you boil it down, I think that all of us, if we're put under pressure, sometimes the ugliness of our sinful nature likes to rear its head, and we like to compare. If if you think I'm wrong, when you're driving along, all of a sudden somebody cuts you off, I bet you that's a... Nobody's going to say it, right? But you know, you you often think about somebody or a people group or a certain sex or whatever, and that's in your head when you're angry or when something isn't going right, where you feel jarred or something's going on. So here, the same thing. He's calling them to a brotherly ah, affection for one another. To honor each other above, I don't care your status, your socio status, where you are, what kind of job you are, what street you live on, if you're right now, things are not going well and you need help from the benevolent offering, or if you're the guy that supplies the benevolent offering. You're all one in Jesus Christ. He's saying, love one another deeply, honor each other more than you honor yourself. Honor each other more than you honor yourself. Folks, prejudice is still alive and well here in White Rock. It's alive and well here in White Rock. And as Christians, as brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter where you are on the totem pole because there ain't any totem pole when it comes to Jesus Christ. We are all one. And we need to love each other deeply Like a brother and sister Like a kid Like that favorite espresso On that great couch And also honor each other More than we honor ourselves So I think we gotta Love God, hate sin Because that's a big Joy killer Another one I think we gotta Love each other deeply Affectionately And honor one another But I think joy killer number three is lack of hospitality. Weird, huh? Did you know that hospitality is a command in Scripture? We as Christians are supposed to be hospitable. This is meddling, don't you think? Totally meddling. And um, this is... Yeah, lack of hospitality. And um, Piper says this. The physical force of gravity pulls everything to the center of the earth. In order to break free from earth-centered life, thousands and thousands of pounds of energy have to push the space shuttle away from center. There's also a psychological force of gravity that constantly pulls our thoughts and our affections and physical actions inward toward the center of our own selves and our own homes so we are in default mode i try and do everything for me how does it benefit me right that's who we are it's really hard to look at others because our default is how does it benefit me Therefore, Piper says, the most natural thing in the world is to neglect hospitality because it is the path of least resistance. All we have to do is yield to the natural gravity of our self-centered life and the result will be a life so full of self that there's no room for hospitality. We will forget about it. We will neglect it. So the Bible bluntly says, stop it. Build a launching pad. Fill up your boosters and blast out of your self-oriented routine. Stop neglecting hospitality. Practice hospitality. Folks, teenagers, you know what's going to help us bust out of our own thought life and that it's all about me, me, me is start thinking about somebody else. I think one of the biggest lies that the devil is throwing at our young people is entitlement. It's all about me. I should get this. I deserve this. And if you as a teenager start listening to your conversations and realize that you don't say thank you as much as you used to, pay attention because the devil is lulling you to sleep and he wants you to be like everybody else. I deserve this. Do you know who I am? That is the attitude that this guy from customer service is pretty much saying that he finds in B.C., Now, it's general, so not all of you are like that, okay? But what I'm saying is we have a pretty nice area, pretty nice life here, and sometimes we all of a sudden go, well, yeah, do you know, I'm from BC. In fact, I'll throw this at you. I went to college in Saskatchewan. You know where that is? That's in Canada. My my cousin said he figures we should pave Saskatchewan to make it a parking lot. What a guy, eh? and he's from Winnipeg. But nonetheless, even in that, I remember that when I first came here to candidate, I actually wasn't pumped to be in B.C. And this is why, when I was in college, I'm a prairie boy, I love Manitoba, but when the B.C. people would come, they'd say, yeah, I'm from God's country. <laughs> So when I came to Canada, I think this was a God thing, because when I came to Canada here, I was in White Rock, one of the the most desirable places to be in Canada. But I didn't really care, because I was looking for the ministry that was carved out for me, and I was carved out for that ministry. So I actually was actually a step back, going like, yeah, I I might be able to do BC, but I definitely wasn't looking for a gig here in BC. Kind of neat, huh? how the Lord works, all that stuff. But what he's saying here is our default is to not be hospitable. Our default is to make it about me. Our our default is to save money so I can spend it on myself. Our default is to, well, they haven't invited me out for lunch. Why would I invite them out for lunch? In fact, it was very interesting because when I came as a young man from Alberta to here, first of all, I was single in both locations, okay? So I was single in Alberta, and there was, I think, hardly a Sunday after church where I wasn't invited out for lunch. And I think a lot of the times, if I remember correctly, over half the times it was to people's homes. then I moved out here. I was not invited out very often, and usually when I was, it was to a restaurant. So I just, I throw that out to you, because there is something to inviting people into your home Because it's your home. This is my stuff. This is, you know, did I clean enough or whatever? It's a little bit easier to take them out for lunch because then you don't have to clean anything up or feel the pressure, right? But there's something about trust, don't you think? That I trust, even if I've known you for years or maybe I've just met you for the first time, I want you to come to my home. Isn't that strange today? Isn't that weird? And I think that's what he's calling us to. He's definitely calling us in this portion of scripture to to really practice it with one another. As Christians, we should be hardcore loving on each other. Come on over for lunch. And he's also saying, aliens and strangers, come on over for lunch. So yeah, you're taking a chance. Yeah, you're sticking your neck out. But let me think, was there somebody else that stuck his neck out or maybe his hands out for us? See, this doesn't come just as a fantastic ivory tower, harebrained idea from Jesus thinking, now, what else can I lay upon these people? He is the one that is hospitable when you think of the definition of hospitality. I'll get to that in just a minute. First Peter 4 verse 8 and 9 says Above all, hold unfailing love or sorry, hold unfailing your love for one another since love covers a mu- multitude of sins. Practice hospitality ungrudgingly to one another. It's all over scripture, but I have limited time today, but it's all over scripture. Love one another deeply, practice hospitality. Practice hospitality, love one another deeply. Honor one another. And I think some of this comes out of qu- uh, quality relationship comes out of quantity relationship. We've got to start somewhere. Ask somebody out for lunch. Buy lunch for a random stranger. When you're going up to the desk and you see a, one of those teenagers that's always trying to get a couple nickels to rub together and buy something, say, hey, can I buy a, a McHappy meal or something like that? but I get the toy, right? (laughs) Uh, Like, you start with the small steps, but stick your neck out. Maybe start in here. Start with somebody you've known for a while. Invite them over. Make too big of a pot of chili. Put on a slow cooker. Do something like that. And you'll know that as you continue this process, I think most of times you'll learn more and more that it's okay to do it and you will develop a brotherly, affectionate love for one another. In fact, I was having a a good conversation with a a good friend of mine and one of the things that when you get older is we have less and less bosom buddies. We got to do something about that, don't you think? Do I get an amen? Gentlemen. Especially gentlemen. Gentlemen, do you want to get an amen? Amen. We need it, you guys. We need it. It is so easy to get wrapped up in work and wrapped up in your car or shining your hobby car or doing whatever. We need each other. Thank God for small groups. Thank God for this bicycle group that meets on Saturdays. Thank God for the prayer group that meets way too early Saturday mornings. You know, that kind of stuff. It's awesome. Because gentlemen especially, women, you're way better at this. But gentlemen especially, we need each other. And as you get older, not only does your hair thin, but so do your friendships, it seems. So work hard at hospitality. Work hard at honoring other people. Work hard at loving one another. And folks... It is the great I am that is calling us. In Leviticus, we don't have time to go here. Leviticus, it was a command to practice hospitality. Make sure that you treat strangers and aliens properly. Invite them in, feed them, take care of them. Leviticus, like right at the beginning of scripture, he's saying this. And the great I am is saying this. The the I, I am, God, I am. He's saying this. But... It's interesting, because he's reminding the people there in the Old Testament, do you remember where I took you from? You were slaves in Egypt, and I took you out of there. Sacrifices were made, and I took you from that place, and I showed you hospitality. I took care of you so that you didn't suffer, so that your, your clothes did not burn out, and you were always fed. I, The great I Am showed hospitality. And in Colossians, thousands of years later, in New Testament, he says, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, and you who were alienated and hostile in mind, who's he talking about? Us, right? So you too, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Folks, he's, he's calling us, commanding us, that if you're a Christian, you're going to be working on loving one another. I'm, he's not saying you're going to be perfect here. But you're working on brotherly, affectionate love for each other. You're going to work at honoring one another. You're going to work at it. You're going to work at honoring one another and lifting him up. You're going to work at loving God and just hating sin, but not hating the sinner. And in this last one, which is quite practical and meddling, you're going to practice hospitality. Practice hospitality right in here with one another and start paying attention to people around you. Maybe somebody on the street, maybe somebody at work, and you pay for their lunch or take them to lunch and you start developing this relationship because that's what God commands and that's what God has done and is in the business of doing. So in conclusion, I give you those, those things right there. Just like he says in Colossians 1 verse 21 that while we were alienated, while we were hostile, while we were enemies of God, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. That to me shows a pretty deep love, a pretty deep honor and hospitality at its best. Folks, God has shown us his love. He's shown us his service, his humility, and his hospitality toward us. And now he is calling us to love truth, to love him, to hate sin, to love one another deeply, and to honor each other, and to practice hospitality inside and outside of the church. And don't you think that'll be a fabulous, testimony, a fabulous story, a fabulous advertisement for our culture to see. Don't you think? I think. I think our culture is actually, if they were really honest with themselves, they're tired of even Christians lollygagging somewhere in the middle. Teenagers, you're just kind of floating along with your friends. There's nothing different about you. And there could be. You could have an incredible ministry, even though you might feel weird at at, at a moment. Most of your friends have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you want to fit in. And they will die without knowing God. That blows my mind. Same thing, adults, you at work. Sometimes in a marriage where your spouse does not know the Lord, whatever Folks, love one another deeply. You love God, hate sin. Honor people, even if they don't know Christ, then they might even be aliens toward you and to Christ. And practice hospitality. I think this is gonna blow the socks off our culture when they start seeing us practice this stuff. Alright? Do I get amen? amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters, and I pray that we would be charged as guilty when it comes to all this stuff that we would love you deeply that we would love each other even when it's uncomfortable or when um, there's a spat help us lord to be drawn to make that spat right because we love you and we love each other help us lord to honor each other help us to look at other people that they are worth more than us even because of how you even looked at us Help us, Lord Jesus, to practice hospitality and look for ways to chew the fat with other people. Look for ways to buy somebody a meal. Look for ways to help somebody out and build a relationship. And Lord, I also throw in as a side that you'd help us gentlemen to continue to develop bosom friendships, that we will continue to move forward, that we would have other men to... to uh, uh, share with other men to help us be sharp and accountable in our marriages, in our work, in our thought life, and all that stuff. And Lord, we had asked for our teenagers that you give them the guts and give them the courage to love God, hate sin, and that they too would realize that they have this huge ministry opportunity right before them. Thank you, Lord, for entrusting us with the gospel. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus to name. see the captive hearts released, the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. We lay down our life for heaven's cause. We are your church. We pray revive this earth. you